And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them whether the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thanks, Mark. I wish I had a voice like that. I don't know if um, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis, and we have read the Chronicles of Narnia um, through several times with our kids over the last 10 years or so. And in that first book, um, you know, the first book is The Magician's Nephew, and it's a story about a novice sorcerer, the uncle, who finds or produces three rings. Um, those rings actually transport whoever's wearing them into another land. Um, and in this particular case, into a land, um, initially a, a land that's destroyed, and then it takes them um, later on into the land of Narnia. And in, that, and in that story, at the end of that story, you have the uncle and his nephew and uh, a next-door neighbor all go to Narnia. This is Narnia before the creation. This is before Aslan actually creates Narnia. And it's interesting to see how there are different responses to Aslan. So Aslan, obviously, is a picture of who Jesus is. He's the lion. And then the children and in others, um, meeting him creates... a a couple of responses. One of great reverence and fear in the sense of the lion is mighty and fearsome. Yet there's this drawing to him that's undeniable. It's like gravity drawing these children to Aslan because of his heart. Yet in the uncle whose aim is self-glory, who is the center of his own universe and cares very little about anyone else. He cares about power and position and authority. He's repelled. 
by this lion. In fact, he cannot even hear Aslan speak to him in a voice. He is, he is so fearful that he runs the other direction and considers, and considers Aslan um, reprehensible. Um, I don't want to go near him. It's ugly. Everything that the uncle desires is opposite of Aslan. And he's, and he's repelled from him. And I think in this passage in Matthew, we see something similar happening with the announcement of the birth of the king. And this is a really a tale of two kings. This is a tale of King Herod, along with the religious rulers of Jerusalem. And it's a tale of the ancient king, the ancient of days, the great redeemer that we've been singing about. Let me pray for us as we begin to talk about this passage in Matthew 2. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to do your work among us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word to your people. Father, help us to see the majesty of King Jesus, even as a child. Father, give us your eyes. Let us be drawn to you, the true King, in submission so that we can worship you as we were created to worship. Bless our time. We welcome you. We honor your name. May you be pleased with our worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's really three things that I think we can see from this passage. One is a comparison to the kings. And I think there's a stark contrast between King Herod and King Jesus. The second thing I think is the irony of the birth uh, announcement and how people respond to that birth announcement. And then lastly, how we respond to the king. How do we respond to these two or, or to the king Jesus? So let me read from this passage. We'll read um, verse 1 through 7. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king. So Matthew has given us a picture, okay, of who and when. So after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. So this is sometime afterwards. We, we find out later it's probably um, somewhere between a few months and a, and a couple of years. But it's probably closer to a couple of years. And it was in the days of Herod the king. Now Herod the king, was he ruled between 37 8, uh, B.C. and, and uh, 4 uh, B.C. So most people think that Jesus was born somewhere along the lines. It was at the end of Herod's reign sometimes along, around 5 B.C. So he wasn't born at, at 1 A.D. He was probably born about 5 B.C. So behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have uh, come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's from Micah 5.2. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now, why would, so when, 
So the scene here is we have these wise men. We don't know how many they are. We don't know if they're kings or not. They're just from the east, probably from Persia, which is present-day Iran, possibly Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. And so somehow we don't even know how they made the connection between the star in which they saw and uh, the connection between the star and the Messiah or the king of the Jews. But somehow they, get, they made that connection and they began their, their journey. Now we're talking about 600 to 1,000 miles. We're not talking across the street or, or even to Birmingham. We're talking on foot or on horseback or on donkey or camel, however they made it, several hundred miles to come see this king that was born. And the only way they, um, they didn't know where, they just knew it was the king of the Jews, the Jews' capital or the, the lead city was Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem and they begin to ask questions. Where is, the, where is the king of the Jews born? Because we want to worship him. When news begins to make its way around the city, finally it makes its way to Herod. And it says when Herod hears this, he was troubled. Now, why would Herod be troubled? Why would this king, this ruler of Jerusalem, a religious people, looking for hundreds of years for the coming Messiah, why would he be troubled? And really that word troubled means to be fearful, to be frightened, to tremble, to be stirred up. Why would he be so upset at, the, at this incredible announcement that the people of Israel have been looking for for centuries? Because he considered himself the king of the Jews. It said that when Herod, um, when Herod, when Herod uh, shivered, Jerusalem quaked because of his great wrath. Herod, if we have to understand kind of where he came from, Herod was not really a Jew. He was born, his father was an uh, Edomite, uh, which is a kingdom south between the Dead Sea and the Red Sea. It was not a, a Jewish area until the Hasmonean uh, dynasty that came and they conquered that part and essentially forced uh, the people of that area to adopt Judaism. So his, his grandfather, his father, adopted the faith. They were at best nominal and probably not even that, Jews. He, uh, um, during the Hasmonean, there was a, um, if, if we remember Jewish history, there was a kingdom, then, they were, then Babylon or uh, Assyria came and took the northern kingdom and dispersed Jews throughout that, um, that empire. Later, the Babylonians came and conquered Judea and deported many Jews, including uh, Daniel, uh, to Babylon for 70 years. Then they were uh, brought back to um, the, the Promised Land. But throughout their history, from that point on, they've been ruled by outsiders, um, by various kingdoms, the Syrians, the Babylonians, then later the Greeks. Um, and then about 160 A.D. or B.C., there was a Jewish... Uh, Rabbi uh, Mattathias, who rebelled against a leader who had sacrificed swine in the temple, and they could not take it any longer. And he and his sons led what was known as the Maccabean Revolt. They were great heroes for the Jewish people. 
and it created the Hasmonean Empire or the Hasmonean Dynasty. And so they, so this priest and his sons began to rule um, in this uh, in Judea until 63 BC when Rome came and conquered um, Jerusalem and that area, and that's where. Herod and his family began to pop up. His father was a civil servant. Um, he had, under the Hasmonean uh, rule, when the Romans came in, he was, a, he was a great political thinker and shrewd political uh, leader. He advised that they would welcome the Roman rulers and not, um, and not try to resist them. Because of that, he found favor with the Romans. His son was appointed governor of, Ju- of Galilee. That's Herod, who we're talking about here. Herod later, during a civil war, fled Jerusalem, went to Rome, where he convinced he was friends with um, someone you might have heard of, uh, Mark Antony, um, became, began a relationship with him. Mark Antony made a, um, uh, a plea to the Senate to make him king of the Jews, king of Judea came back with an army, and then he conquered in uh, Jerusalem. And he became the king of the Jews. This half, this non-Jewish, nominal Jew began to lead the people. He was a great builder. That's why they called him the great. He built the great temple, the, second, the rebuilding of the temple. It was the largest religious uh, structure in the world at the time. He built roads and bridges and aqueducts. He, bru- he built the great seaport of Caesarea, after, named it after Octavian, the Caesar of Rome. It's considered one of the wonders of the world. He built Masada, that you've probably heard about later. So he was a great builder. But one other thing in which he's known for is his brutality. Because he was, not a, he was not a legitimate king of the Jews, he was always worried about someone taking his power. And so in order to solidify his power base, he married one of the Hasmonean, the, the royal family of Judaism. And he married um, Mariani, who is a princess of that family, to, to secure his place. And yet the cause of intrigue, and fear, he actually slaughtered his wife, his mother-in-law, her uncle, one of the high priests, and three of his sons. Anyone who threatened his rule, he eliminated. He was brutal. So why would he, why would he be troubled? The news of this new king who was born in Judea. His power base was now threatened. That's the kind of man Herod was. Seeking power, seeking authority. Anyone who got in his way, he would destroy in order to keep his authority, keep his power. That's the king. That's the present king of of the Jews. And now we have this announcement from the Magi from the east who are inquiring of the birth of a legitimate king. King of the Jews, the long-awaited one. It's interesting that these rumors are going around 
And it seems like only Herod gets it. He's the only one who understands the significance of this. In fact, he calls, he, he calls the, the, the high priest. There's really only one. But they were plural because he had deposed a couple. So he gathers all the, the high priest and he gathers the scribes or the, the lawyers, the, the, the ones who uh, kept the scriptures. And he inquired of them and said, where is the Christ to be born? See, he understood this, that these men are talking about the Christ. They're not talking about just some child who would be born and would later be the king, a political leader. He understood the significance of the Messiah. Because the Messiah in their mind was the one sent from God, the anointed one, who would come and he would rule with power and he would kick out the Romans and he would kick out those who opposed God and set up his own rule. That's the thinking. And so Herod has to find out where he's born, when he was born, so he can eliminate him just like he eliminated everyone else who threatened his power. He understood. But he seems like he's the only one other than the Magi. So who is this king? This king who is to be born? This Jesus, the Christ? You know, if we look back at Matthew 1, we see the lineage of Jesus and why he was a legitimate king who would be born. And throughout Scripture, we hear of the birth of this king. Way back in Genesis 3, after... after um, the fall of Adam and Eve after their rebellion. In Genesis 3.15, he gives, God gives the promise that I will send a descendant of Eve who will, who will bruise or um, who will crush the head of the evil one. The promised Messiah, the promised Redeemer, all the way back at the garden to Abraham in Genesis 12.3. He tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And from your descendants, they will, you will bless the nations. So even back in Genesis, there was this picture of God sending a Messiah, a Redeemer, a King, who would, who would bless beyond the Jewish people, who would bless the entire world. In Genesis, back in Genesis 12. In Numbers 24, 17. We see the prophet Balaam, who's possibly even a Magi himself, out of Babylon. The local um, rulers had tried to get him to curse the Israelites. And in Numbers 24, 17, he actually prophesies against him. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. These prophecies of this great king that is to come. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13, the promise to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And he established the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. It's talking about Solomon, but also a picture of the coming Messiah. The lineage of David. Who will establish the kingdom not just for a decade or two, but forever. That's the hope. 
That's the Messiah. We see in Micah 5, 2, and 3 where he's to be born. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little uh, to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time, and she who is in labor shall give birth. And the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall be their peace. He is the Messiah of peace. In Isaiah seven fourteen. Isaiah gives the prophecy of this Messiah. When he says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The great promise of God with us. So we see throughout the Old Testament this prophecy, <clears throat> this looking forward to the Messiah, this king that the, that the Magi are coming to see. That's who they're looking for. But we also see who this Jesus is, this Messiah. And this is incredible. He is not only the child. And this is the incredible irony of of the birth announcement. That God the Father uses the cosmos, He uses creation to announce the birth of the Creator. The one who is actually the Creator is the one that is being announced through creation, through the star. Jesus, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the legitimate king. In John 1, 1 to 4, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the, be- he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him uh, was not anything that uh, was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Everything was made by Him. The Word. In Colossians 1, 15-17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the words of His power. That's the legitimate King. That's the King that the Magi are looking for. And Herod knows it. Herod is the fraud. And he knows it. He understands the implications. And he has to squelch it. Another comparison of these two kings in their character, the who. He is the good king. In Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, we know a little bit more about this coming king. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And the name, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. So he will be a wonderful counselor. He'll be a mighty God. He will be the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says, And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame men leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This picture of this king. Isaiah 61, 1-3. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them what? A beautiful headdress. Instead of ashes. The oil of gladness. Instead of mourning. The garment of praise. Instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. In Daniel 7. 13 and 14 it says. I saw in the night visions. And behold with the clouds of heaven. There came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That's the legitimate king. So as we look, King Herod, self-made, Ruthless, brutal, conniver, life filled with intrigue, the thief leading by deception, will do anything to keep his authority and his power. And we'll see that he's willing to murder children in order to do that. Now before... We go, wow, that's a pretty bad guy. Guess what? I'm Herod. You're Herod. We do the same thing. I will do anything. I will say anything. I will manipulate. I will harm. In order to get my way sometimes. That's my nature. We may not have, I may not have the authority to bring about death, but I can bring death with my words. I can manipulate. I can try to control in order to maintain my control of my life. I'm just like Herod. Maybe without the power to demonstrate it as he did. And then we have the picture of the true king who is the ancient For creation, he was. Beautiful, glorious, magnificent, all-powerful. And he spoke and the worlds were created. And yet that king is full of compassion. That king is willing to disrobe himself of all the glory of heaven take on 
human flesh. That king is willing to submit himself and become a very servant for you and I. Very different than Herod, isn't it? Very different than the kings and rulers of this world. And yet he's the legitimate king. He's the king who will bind up the brokenhearted. He's the king who will heal. He's the king who can reconcile. He's the king who can bring peace. He's the king who cares and will sacrifice himself on the cross for you and I. That's the true king. That's the legitimate king. That's the king we serve. So the first thing we wanted to look at was the comparison of the two kings. The second thing we want to look at is the irony of the birth announcement. You know, it's interesting that when God sends the announcements that the king has arrived, he doesn't go to the court in Jerusalem. He doesn't go to the religious leaders. Where does he first go? We find out in Luke 2 that he goes first to the shepherds the lowest of society, in order to announce the the great announcement of the birth of the king. And then we see that he goes to not even Jews. He goes to the Magi, foreigners, who the Jews consider excluded from the nation of Israel. They were the marginalized. In Jewish culture. And that's who God chooses to make his announcement to through his creation. Now, we don't, what we do know about the Magi, we don't know how many they were. We don't know if they were kings or not. We, you know, tradition says three because there were three gifts. We have no idea. There were probably more than that because they needed, they would generally, because of safety reasons, gather together and move in caravans. What we do know is they're from the east. Again, probably either Persia or Babylonia. That word magi comes from magnus, which means to, to um, a learner, a thinker, a magician. They were learned men. They were astronomers. They were stargazers. They understood the, the skies. They understood the stars. There was a mixture, in the, and they would even read the stars to try to determine the fate of men. So they were the first astrologers. Not as probably as we see it. They were probably more scientists and learned, educated men and religious leaders than how we would view some of those things today. And yet those are the ones that God chooses to make the announcement to. And the incredible thing to me, this so is a picture of that prophecy that he first makes to Abraham is that your descendants will be a blessing to the nations. And we find out later in Matthew 28, later in this this book, that he has now called us to go to the nations. We find out in Revelations that men from every tribe and language and tongue will come and worship the king. He chooses those to make the announcement to. And guess what? And he chose to speak to them in their language through the stars. God can do whatever he pleases to whom 
whomever He pleases, wherever He pleases, whenever He pleases. But I'm amazed at the response of these pagan astrologers. Now, they may have had some understanding because they may have had some connection with Daniel 700 years or a few hundred years before. They may have had connection with Jews that had been deported to the east, either the Syrians or to or by the uh, Babylonians. So they may have had some understanding. We just don't know. only thing we know is that these magi, these wise men, left their homes, traveled upwards to two years, several hundred miles, not even exactly knowing where they were going. To do what? They were moved greatness and the majesty of the Messiah. And they inquired of Him. That's who they were. They were enamored by the King. Compare that to the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders should have heard the same, the same rumors that Herod had heard. And when he gathered those religious leaders, the high priests and the scribes, and says, where is the Christ to be born? See, Herod understood it was the Christ. Where is he to be born? And they gave him the answer. And then it seems like they went about their business. We don't know for sure. But there was certainly not a stir. And they certainly didn't go to Bethlehem to seek the Messiah. It might have been for fear of Herod. It might have been for fear of the, the Romans. We don't know. All we know is they did not respond. The Magi responded. We do know later on. As Scripture tells us in John, John 1.9, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own. And, to his, and his own people did not receive him. An amazing thing. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And in verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before him. Went before him. Now, this is interesting because we don't really know what happened. Okay, we don't... Stars usually don't go before people and settle down on a house. Um, so we don't know if they saw a star in the east and that was the sign and they just started heading to the, the capital of the Jews and then the star reappears or the light reappears and leads them. All we know is that God is working His magic and bringing these magi to Bethlehem. And it rose and went before them until it came to rest over uh, the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they what? They rejoiced. Get this. Look at the magnification of how he communicates this. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were delirious over this announcement. They were ecstatic. Because they found the king. You can, you can almost see them. Their pace 
quickening. The closer they make that six miles to Bethlehem, the closer they get, the quicker they step, the more they start talking to one another. We're almost there. And their hearts are filled with joy because they're about to meet the long-awaited one, the Ancient of Days. And going into the house, remember this is not a manger now. Jesus is older. They come to the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they what? They, these are, guys, get this. Jerusalem was not New York City. Now, Judea was a crossroads of the ancient empires. But it was not a cosmopolitan center. This would be like New Yorkers, Persia was, Rome was, Judah was not. So you have these men who are coming from New York. Learned men, significant men, going to a place that in, in the context of that world was fairly insignificant. It would be like guys from New York going to Montana or going to Tupelo, Mississippi. I hope we don't have anybody from Tupelo, Mississippi. They're going to the backwaters. And what do they do? They don't just curtsy. They don't just bow. They fall on their faces and they worship. These pagan astrologers are worshiping the Creator who is a child. What a paradox. In a backwater, tiny village in Bethlehem, in a common house. But they understood. They understood. And in opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, which was the normal gift that you would give a king. Frankincense. That was an aromatic resin that they would use for the worship of the gods. And they give that as a gift. And myrrh. I don't know, we don't know why they gave these things. Gold to a king, frankincense as an act of worship, and myrrh. Myrrh was a resin that they used in bombing in the embalming process. We don't know if there's any significance that that would then, that this Messiah would die. But those are the gifts they gave. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we've seen a tale of two kings, a comparison of the two kings. We've seen the irony of the announcement. To those, it just doesn't make any sense. And yet, we see the response of those men. We see the response of Herod and we see the response of the, of the religious leaders. So the question that we have for you and I in 2016 is how do we respond to the king? Do we respond to the king like Herod and see him as an affront to my own authority and my control of my life? hold him at arm's bay, and actually even were rebellious, angry at him for having the audacity to claim lordship of me? Or do we respond like the religious leaders 
blind complacency. Let me do my thing. Let me go about my business. Let me go about my religious activities. But let's not get too close to the king. Or do we respond like the magi? Who with great, with exceedingly great joy, bow down and worship and submit to the king. How do you respond? One of my favorite quotes is from the Chronicles of Narnia. And it's in the next book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And these children are speaking to the beaver. And the beaver, the children have not seen Aslan at this point. And the beaver is describing this lion. And Susan's in, uh, and the beaver says, it's Aslan is a lion. They're asking who he is. Who is this Aslan? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. Safe, Mr. Beaver said. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's a king, I tell you. You and I are here today to worship the true king. This season is a celebration of the ancient king come in human flesh to accomplish the promises that he set forth thousands of years ago. Let us worship him well. Let us submit and yield to him well. May he fill us with great, exceedingly great joy because we're his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let's pray. Father,